I love this church. I love this church. I, I honestly do. Um, and my child there is ridiculous, and the three children there, um, but beautiful. I, I love that. So that means Tamara must be here. So hi, Tamara. So our future Papua New Guinea missionaries uh, being here, which is exciting. Uh, first service, if you remember Gina Britt, who we sent to Australia for six months, she was here, first service, which is really exciting. And I think you're going to see more of her uh, in the coming months, hopefully. And then uh, the other missionaries that we have in Papua New Guinea, uh, they are actually on the way back, uh, the Midkiffs, because she's pregnant and expecting another child. So that's really exciting. And coming back this way. Uh, in Ghana, our church in Ghana, uh, Sabina, Maxwell's wife, is due any minute. Um, I talked to him yesterday. He was really nervous, as any soon-to-be papa would be. So he asked if we could just pray uh, that his uh, little uh, new baby would be uh, safe and healthy. He's had a lot of girls in his lifetime, so he's asking for a boy. I, I said, I don't know if you get that or not, but... Um, we'll just pray for health. So let's just pray right now. Lord, I just pray over Sabina, over her womb, over her um, body, Lord, that you would keep her safe and keep her uh, just secure, Lord, in your wonderful, loving arms. In your name we pray. Amen. It gets a little weird when I... I know I, I can scare people away um, uh, with some of the things that I say, and, and this might scare you away, but it's what happened. I was in a... Um, when I was in Ghana, I, I, in three of the day. I, Three of the days I was lecturing, and I lectured 13 hours at a university in three days, and uh, it was a lot, a lot of work, and, and I had to, so what I'd do is after I'd lecture that day, I'd have them take me into my room, I was at a Methodist church, I'd be in my room, I wouldn't even ask for dinner, and I would just study the word and, and receive what I needed to speak for the next day, but I was really struggling, and again, this is a weird story, but you know, I'm pretty open about what God's doing in my life. And, you know, I was just really struggling. I, I spent from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. trying to get a word from the Lord. And I, and I just, I, I, I didn't, I, it wasn't right, it wasn't right, it wasn't right. And then the next morning I woke up and again I was, you know, Lord, what do you want me to share with these uh, people, uh, with these students? There's about 70 professors and grad students, you know, in this room. And, and what do you want me to share with them? And then I had this vision. I was sitting there at this desk at this Methodist room, and I had this vision of me touching Sabina's womb. And when I touched her womb, in the natural, I began to just speak in tongues. And speak in tongues for like a half hour, just praising God. And after I was done doing that for a half hour, I had my next four hours of lecture like that. And it's funny, like, I'm not that person. Like, that's not normal for me to have visions of a womb or, you know, those types of things. But that's what God did. So I know it's a weird story and crazy, but that's what happened. I was completely locked. I had a vision. I touched the womb. I touched the womb. <laughs> things began to flow. And I preached or I lectured for another four hours um, on pretty cool stuff. So anyways, um, I, I think often we try to corner God and tell him how he has, the spirit has to be manifested. Uh, it just happens in a lot of different ways. Uh, we just have to continue to trust in Him. Well, it's good to be back. I, I love Life Spring. I, I, I want you to know that Pastor Chad, the founder of this church, uh, he says hello. I was over at his church in Clarkston this last week, and it was really exciting to see all that God has done there. As you guys know, that church would not be uh, beating, probably, have a heartbeat without your generosity and, and our generosity as a church, where we really 
paid him for six months to, to start that church so they didn't have to do, use their finances uh, on, on a pastor, but on different things. So he just uh, wanted to thank you guys once again. The church has grown from like 20 people, 30 people to, they probably had 140, 150 people there on that Sunday. So pretty exciting. Uh, they all wanted to say hi. I had a blast over there though. I got to do a worship conference. I, I put on a worship seminar on Saturday for three of the churches over there. Lewiston, uh, Clarkston, and Pullman, and that was pretty fun to uh, just pour into them, and then Sunday morning I got to preach on worship, and I got to lead worship, so it was, it was good to be there, but I got to be honest, it's really good to be back as well. Um, I missed you guys, and I'm happy, happy, happy to be here. I heard that uh, Greg Reich gave a very powerful message. I listened to it this week, and I thought it was pretty amazing. But um, he, he continued, and I'm going to kind of keep it going here, this series, Positioned for a Miracle. And today I'm going to be talking about receiving and expecting. And, and the reality, again, I hope, hope we understand this. The, the, the idea of this series is that we, as Christians, as we are filled with the Spirit and as we are led by the Spirit, you and I, we are positioned every day from morning to night, we are positioned for the supernatural, miraculous work of God to be on display in us and through us. That that's just the reality. The supernatural Spirit of God is in us as Christians and as we give Him permission to move in our lives with these ingredients, you begin to see God move in incredible, miraculous supernatural ways. In fact, just this morning, I had a gentleman come to me and he brought me some pretty incredible, amazing, expensive things. He put them in my hand. He goes, this is an offering for what the work that you guys are doing in Ghana. Boom. Thousands of dollars. Amazing. As we're trying to build churches, as we're trying to build orphanages, as we're trying to open a medical clinic, uh, just put in my hands this morning. Here is for Africa. The Lord is doing miraculous things in our midst, moving every day. I cannot believe that we get to be a part of this. And my heart really for this series is to show how the scriptures uh, reveal to us a living God, a living, active, breathing, moving God who is actually doing something in us and through us. Christianity is not a lifeless religion. It is not a powerless religion. It is God in us. Christ, the hope of glory in us, moving and breathing and doing what only he can do. And I want that for every one of us. I want that for you. And if you don't have that today, I pray that you would leave here with that. We've discussed these attitudes, these postures, and we've called them key ingredients. The first one we talked about was humility. Position yourself in humility. This is so important because in our pride, in our flesh, we're just like, man, we don't need God, right? I don't need anybody. I don't need you. I, I mean, I got this. All day long, I got this. Have you tried to do that way of living? You know, the I got this? Yeah, it doesn't work so well. Um, I, I'll tell you story after story where in my pride, in my flesh, I just rose up and I'm like, man, I am awesome. And then like five minutes later, I am crying on my knees like, I am not awesome. And Lord, help me. And right? I mean, that's just the reality of in our flesh. We are fools. In our flesh, we, we rise up in the knowledge of this world and we try to operate in the things of our own strength and our own power. And truly, we just make a mess of it all. So we humble ourselves. And the humility just says, you know what, God, not my will be done, but yours. Like, I'm done. I'm just tired. I've tried in my pride. It's not working. I wave the white flag. I surrender. Oh, my goodness. Lord, would you please come and lead me? Positions you for a miracle. The other one is obedience. It's the idea of saying, not my will be done, but yours be done. But after you say that, it sounds really cool. It's a great bumper sticker, a good little poster to go above your bathroom. But after you say, not my will, but yours will be done, you actually have to then obey his will. And that's the crazy part, right? I mean, it's easy to say, you know, oh, not my will, but yours be done. And then he says, okay, well, here's I got some things I want you to do. 
Uh, whoa, whoa, no, I, I, no, I, I was just saying it because the song said it. But, you know, he actually asks you to do some things. Doesn't, have you ever thought about that? Did you know that you actually have a part to play in this whole thing? And we call it obedience. Obedience, it's radical. It's dangerous. It's hard. I mean, think about it. You know, obedience, the obedience of Christ. I mean, just read a book about the martyrs, the missionaries who have given up their lives for Christ. Being obedient to God's will for your life, it is dangerous. And sometimes he goes, you know what? There is a people that is lost and it's dark and, and, and there is no light. And yet I want to bring the light of Christ into that situation. I want the light of Christ to illuminate that situation. Would you be willing to go and shine the light of Christ in that situation? You're like looking at everyone else. Like, Me? <laughs> yeah, you. Would you be faithful and obey uh, my will for your life? And we look at a couple of people, um, modern day examples, and also in the Bible of amazing men and women who said, yes, I'll obey you, God. Whatever that means, I will obey you. And then this whole idea of giving. And I like this giving. It's not money. It wasn't a money message. But it's this posture of really saying, God, I'm going to give you what I have right now. It's the ingredient of saying, you know, I'm not going to wait till tomorrow to give you my life. I, I think many of us, we try to wait, right? I, I'll wait until after I'm over the addiction. I'll wait till after I'm, I'm married, you know, to really live for you, God. Or I'll, I'll wait until after I have kids. How many people just live and not for God? But, but when I have kids, everything will change, right? When I have kids, I'll stop doing the drugs. When I have kids, I'll stop, you know, cheating or stealing. You know, when I have, or, or when I have the job or when I, you know, all these things. When I have it together, after I do this or do that, then I will recklessly follow the Lord and a whole abandon just follow the Lord. But God says, you know what? I don't need you to do all those works and all those steps to get to me. I just want you like right now, today. And so God says, give me you. And it's amazing. Have you noticed that when you give him you, like the broken, <laughs> surrendered, you know, jar of clay kind of you, that it's amazing what God can do when you give him your life. And I would just say, one of the great things about Jesus is he says, give me your cares because I care for you. He says, give me your weakness because I want to be strong in you. One of the great things about, you know, like, I'm like, so often, just insecure, um, you know, all those things in my life, the things I've, I've struggled with. And, and it's like, well, I don't even have anything to give, Lord. Even what I have to give is so pathetic. And he goes, no, 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 that's great. Just then give me that. Like, why well, I got nothing? Just my life. Yeah, that's perfect. You know why? Because when, when you give me your life, and let's say like you're in the weakest moment of your life, he actually says, in your weakness, my power is made perfect. Have you ever thought about that? That's why I love there's no excuses in the Christian life. Well, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. And I'm failing in that. And I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not. No, he's like, no, that's perfect. That's a, that's a good place. That's great. Because you know what? My power can be made perfect in weakness. Isn't that beautiful? I love that as a Christian because I used to, I always thought it was about following 10 rules to, get to God and show him how good I am. Like, look at, I'm a good little boy. And that's how I lived my life until I finally realized it was all about the grace of God. You just fall in desperation before Lord. God, would you save me? Would you deliver me? Would you rescue me? And then he says, yeah, actually I will. Get up. I got things for you to do. And it's like, really? Like, honestly? Yeah. And it just, I hope we understand it. I hope you taste that. That you don't have to wait for tomorrow to be used mightily by God. Just give him what you have today and he will do the miraculous and supernatural in you and through you. Today, two more ingredients. I'm pretty excited today. I'm always excited. I heard on the, uh, the little recording that Greg Reich did that he said, I'm like a, 
I think he called me a Mexican jumping bean. And um, I will take that as a compliment. Um, I am a Mexican jumping bean that loves the Lord. So I will jump for Jesus. But <laughs> the first attitude posture I want to talk about is receiving. Receiving. I mean, this one, truly, as I look at my life and, and as the Lord has taken me on a journey and as the Lord has worked on me and worked on the different areas of my life, this is a big one. Where I have learned how to receive from the Lord, um, it has truly changed my life. And, and there's two ways that we receive from the Lord. We receive by His Holy Word, so we're filled up with His Word. And we also receive by His Holy Spirit. We are filled up with His Holy Spirit. And if you want to live the life that He has destined you to live, the supernatural, miraculous life that He has called you to live, you must be willing to receive His Word and His Spirit. So many Christians trying to live a Christian life without the Word and without His Spirit. I don't know what you're doing when you do that. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is a life that is in obedience to His Word and surrendering to His Spirit. The other thing, I don't know what that is. Um, I mean, we make up a lot of religions. We have a lot of different denominations. So I guess you can create a new denomination of whatever that is. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is where you follow His commands. You obey His commands. You do what He asks you to do. You fall underneath His grace and His mercy. You fall underneath His daily salvation. And then you do what His Spirit asks you to do as the Spirit fills you and leads you. That is Christianity. You're saved by grace. He saved you and rescued you. He fills you up with the Spirit. And then you do what His Spirit tells you to do. That's it. <laughs> and then, you know, He gives some different instructions to the Gentiles. I don't know if you remember that. He says, don't eat strangled meat. Don't, you know, eat meat that's given to idols. But beyond that, let's just follow God. Love the Lord and love others. And yet, I struggle with this because this is alive and active and yet so many Christians that I hang out with treat it like it's dead. <laughs> and, that, and it breaks my heart because it's alive and act, it is this cherished gift. It's this thing that when you open it up, there should be goosebumps to think about what Jesus might want to talk to you about. And yet so many Christians, it is just a thing that I once read one time. And yet it is alive and it is active. It's amazing how many times when I read devotions, when I read the Bible, what he fills me up with, I use that day. Have you noticed that in your own life? Isn't that amazing? That he actually is like, you know what? I have some things that I want for you to be equipped with, for you to learn and for you to grab a hold of. And I want you to have those things because you're actually going to have to use them today. Have you noticed that? Where, oh, I am so thankful that I read the Bible today. Some of you, and yet there are people who are trying to live the Christian life without this in you. And you, and yet you're, you're trying to operate. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And yet you have no feeling of the word. You have no feeling of the spirit. And, and by the way, as your pastor, that just stresses me out. I mean, <laughs> I, I shouldn't be stressed. That's an unhealthy stress. But I love you and, and I want you to be well equipped and well prepared for this earth because it is hard. And then you turn around and it's harder. And how could you ever successfully, victoriously live in this life without this in you? Ah. Oh. And then when you have it in you, this is the powerful thing. In my marriage, as this is in me, guess who gets to experience this? My wife gets to experience. And as this is in her, guess who gets to experience the Bible in her? I do. 
Amen. Guess who gets to experience this in my family? My kids do. Guess who gets to experience this in, in, in my staff? They, they get to experience this in me that gets displayed in others. You know why? Because Hebrews 4.12 tells us that this is alive and active. Alive and active. Treat it like it's alive and active, like it is a double-edged sword. Sharper than a double-edged sword. It goes deeper. It goes deeper. It goes deeper. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. Because like sometimes your wife gets mad at you and she's like, you know, you need to do this, you need to do this. And it kind of hurts, right? Like, oh, I can't believe she just said that. And that was so mean or whatever. No, the Bible goes deeper. The boss, when the boss evaluates you, you guys, you know, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. Oh, that kind of hurt. No, it goes deep. It goes deeper. It goes deeper than your mom can say. It goes deeper than your wife can say. It just goes deeper. It goes all the way to where it judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. It's alive and active. Have you been willing to let the Bible get that deep in your life? It's kind of scary, right? Because he actually wants to change you to be more like Jesus. And I don't know if we always want that, right? Because that sounds kind of, uh, you know, maybe not. <laughs> kind of like my life, kind of comfortable. I don't know if I want him to go that deep. But if you, let, if you say, God, I, I'm ready for you to go deep. I'm ready for you to really pierce my heart, work on my heart. He'll do that. And when he does that, the change that happens in you, it actually affects those around you. The, 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 the change in your heart, the heart surgery that he does. I love when you said that to Mary in your letter, that he does a heart surgery. The heart surgery he does, it actually affects everyone else around you. That's why it's so important to let the living word of God come in you. Because, Colby, I need you... I need you in how you're going to interact with him and me and her. I need you to be someone who is following the Lord and, and working in the things of God. And so I need this to be working in you in the way that it works in you. I'm not here to tell you how it's going to work, but it will work in you. But I need that because as it affects your heart, it'll actually affect our relationship. As that affects our relationship, it's actually going to affect the church because now I've been affected by him, a mighty man of God who's letting the word of God, which is alive and active, work in his heart, which is changing his attitude towards me, which is changing, probably encouraging my faith because let's not give up on encouraging one another as we meet together, even as the day approaches. So now I'm excited, like, oh my goodness, my brother in Christ, he's encouraging me. Now I'm encouraging you. There's a heart that is being truly changed and transformed by the living, active Word of God. That's why when I said a couple of weeks ago, you cannot compartmentalize the heart. We try it though, right? We have this Word of God. It gets in here. It changes the heart. Wow, I'm free and I love the Lord and I love singing musicals. And all of a sudden, we're like that way and I love you and I love you and I love you. But then I remember that one thing that one that person said that one time. And it's like, oh yeah, but I don't love you. We compartmentalize our heart, which is ridiculous because we bring the same heart into every situation. Have you noticed that as a Christian, when the Lord does a radical change in your heart and now you're free and now you're full and then you see that person, you're like, oh yeah, but I can't love you. Uh, I'll love them, but I can't love you. Have you realized how much that hurts your heart? That, that you actually kind of get sick? Like when you, when you begin to rise up in hate, when you begin to rise up in envy or jealousy or whatever it is, it actually kind of hurts, doesn't it? Because your heart, your new nature has been changed by the living Word of God, alive and active, that just gets deeper and deeper. And He's done a beautiful work in you. And He's made all things new. And you come into life full with abundant joy. And then you see that person. You know they've hurt you. You know they've violated you. You know they've done wrong to you. And, and just the, the bitterness, the envy that rises up within you, the hatred that rises up within you, and it hurts your heart. 
Because you can't compartmentalize. And even in those situations, you truly want to be set free in that area where you know that you shut your heart off to that person. You say, God, even in that area, would you do a miraculous supernatural work in my heart? Because you have changed my whole heart. Not just a part of my heart, but my whole heart. And I'm going to bring my whole heart, a heart that has been healed, a heart that has truly had surgery done on it to be more like Jesus. I'm going to bring that into the deepest, darkest corners of the world. Does that make sense? That's why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the word of God because it actually changes your heart if you allow it to and the change of heart will change every person around you because you can bring that change of heart into that situation this will change your life it will change your conversations it will change your meetings it will change everything it will change your family because the moment a heart has been changed by the word of God you have the opportunity to now have your entire life be changed the Bible is so important so important to us. And, and we need to receive it as His Word. And one of the things my dad always told me, he said, uh, make sure you uh, tell the Lord that you obey what He says before you read it, if that makes sense. And instead of, uh, you know, kind of being like, you know, you read it and then you pick and choose what you're going to follow. Like, oh, I like that part. I don't like that part. And you just kind of make your own religion. A lot of people just love making their own religion. You know, I, I like that part, not going to like that part. Going to preach on that part, not going to preach on that part. But my dad, he always said, you know, no. You believe in a, in a Holy Spirit that is alive and active and, and, and wanting to do something in your life. And you say, Holy Spirit, whatever you got for me today, I'm going to follow it. I'm going to serve you and, and obey it. And then you read it and you're like, wow, really? And he goes, yep, really. Are we willing to do that? Are, we, are you willing to receive? I'm telling you, if you're willing to receive, and it's not easy. Let's not say that this is easy. But if you're willing to receive all that God would want to tell you or speak to you, you are positioned to be used in mighty, amazing, awesome ways by God. Filled with the Word of God. Filled with the Spirit. I love being filled with the Spirit. That's a great thing to talk about. I love talking about the Holy Spirit just because it makes people uncomfortable and it's kind of fun to make people uncomfortable. But filled with the Spirit. Why are you filled with the Spirit? When you're filled with the Spirit, if I'm in a time and with the Lord and I'm being filled with the Spirit, it is not just for me, Right? How stale that would be if you were just filled with the living water that Jesus promised us and then you just kept it to yourself. That is stale. Have you been in a stale pond? Have you stepped in the mildew, that gross stuff on the bottom of the floor that, oh, you know what I'm talking about in the pond, that has no flow? Now, the river is supposed to be a flow. There's supposed to be a feeling and it's supposed to be poured out into others. That's, that's just true of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul, he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery, right? Don't, don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. When he talks about being filled with the Spirit, in the Greek, it's, it's this idea of continually being feared, or filled, constantly being filled. And, and, it's, and it's important that we understand this, first, especially as, as Pentecostals that always talk about you know, that baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, we were filled, but the reality is there's supposed to be a constant filling, a filling that is every day. Are you living your life in a way where you are being filled every day by the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself that question. I don't need you to answer it out loud. But be serious about it this morning. Are you living a life where you are actively pursuing God? Saying, God, I receive your spirit today. Not a one-time encounter, but right now, today. Because I think this is important. Because sometimes as Christians, we kind of just want to think that we were filled with the, the word, right? That like a one-time encounter, kind of like, 
If I went to Catherine, and Catherine would never say this, by the way, but if I went to Catherine, I said, hey, Catherine, are you reading your Bible? And she goes, oh, no. I go, why not? Well, I've already read it. (laughs) Right? Like it's the third book in the Hunger Games series. You know, like, oh, no, I've done that. How ridiculous, right? That that would never work. Hopefully we don't understand that. It's not just some historical text that, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus was just a wise sage and you you learn a lot of neat things about loving other people. And, you know, it was a a good book. I, I enjoyed it. I give it a four out of five. No, it is a book. It's not how it works. The Word of God is living, active, alive. And as a Christian man or woman, the Bible is something to be digested every Day. Do you remember the Israelites? They had something they called manna. And manna came from heaven every day. And they could not store the manna except for the day uh, before the Sabbath. They had to collect it every day. This is the same for the Word of God. The Word of God is our daily bread. We collect it every day. It exists so that every day of our life we might be filled with the Word of God and actually allow the Word of God as it fills us to actually now be displayed in the world around us. Deuteronomy 17 declares, we might read it all the days of our life so that we might learn to revere the Lord our God and follow carefully all of its words and its decrees. It was true for the Israelites. It's true for us. See, God reveals Himself through the Word. It's alive and it is active. And it would do us well to receive every day all that God would want to teach us by His Word. Again, you know, when I was, I was talking about this first service in my 20s, if you'd have told me that you need to read your Bible, I would have just rebelled against that. I was like, you're just legalistic and you're just judging me. You're just putting law on me and, you know, I'm saved by grace and I don't, I don't need that. And so don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me to read my Bible. Don't tell me to pray. Don't, you know, just any authority. Don't tell me to do that. Don't tell me to do that. And yet now I'm going to stand up here and say, read your Bible. Get over it. Read your Bible. How, how ridiculous to try to live this life without the Word of God implanted within you. Every day, giving you the nourishment, the strength, the resource you need to live the life that God has called you to live. How absurd. How absurd. Sometimes I encounter Christians and I, and I can tell they're operating <laughs> with the Holy Spirit well, it's hard to explain. It's, it's the idea of, I see them doing the same things they've always done, but I can tell they're not being daily filled with the Spirit and not being daily filled with the Word. And this is always really scary to me and it's sad to me. I, I just, I see it. What happens often is this person has had a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit, right? This radical encounter. And it was 1976, right? Or 1982, and yet they're still trying to do the same things. You know, they did 1976. But if they're honest, their spiritual tank is empty. It's been a while since they've actively asked the Lord to fill them with His Word and fill them with His Spirit. And yet they still try to live the same Christian life. Now what happens, and I think we've all tasted this, I think we've all done this, you're still ministering, you're still pouring out, you're still, you know, trying to be positive, you're still, you know, happy, and you're, uh, and God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and you're saying all these things, and you look Christian, you have the bumper sticker, you listen to 105.3, and yet you know you are not daily filling yourself with the Lord. So you're doing this, but you are now 
you are ministering, you are operating, you are trying to shine a light from a tank that is empty. And what, and I just am so tired of seeing my friends destroyed by this, where as they operate and minister out of this emptiness, it leads to exhaustion. It leads to discouragement. It leads to depression. It leads to gross demonstrations and expressions of sin. I've seen some of the most godly people do some of the worst things, evil things, good men, good women. But they began to operate out of an emptiness, not a fullness, not an overflow of the Lord, but a a dry place. And yet they tried to do the same things. And it gets so unhealthy so very fast. We must fill our tank with God's Word and God's Spirit. There's a warning to anyone who is in church leadership. If the only time you're reading your Bible or the only time you're communing with the Spirit, if the only time you're worshiping God is so that you can get a little spiritual nugget to share with somebody else, you're in trouble. You're in a dangerous place. And, you know, come on, we've, we've tried that, right? Oh, help me, Jesus. I just got to get something, right? Just something that I can give to the people. Just something that I can share with the people. If your time with God is only so you can do ministry, that means there is never any personal filling up with the Word or with the Spirit. Wayne Cadero, he's a four-square pastor in Hawaii. He talks a little bit about this. and He talked about a season in his life, and he said he was, he was burnt out, he was exhausted, he was depressed, all those things. But he said he would take the Word, he'd take God and, and his relationship with God, he'd take it, and he'd just kind of dispense it, you know. And... But this whole time, he's getting dry, he's getting <laughs> empty, he's barren, you know, he, he's filling it out. He said, the Lord said, Wayne, stop, Wayne. Wayne, you got to eat my word, you got to feed on my word, you got to be filled with my spirit. And as you are filled, then you don't even have to try that, right? As you're filled with the word, it just flows. It's just who you are. It just begins to be expressed. And you are, I don't have, oh God, you know, where, what am I going to say? Where am I? No, it begins to flow. I, I was thinking about that with, um, with that time in Ghana. I mean, here I am. I spent six hours in the Word with God and whatnot. But you know what? Finally, that morning, He gives me a vision. It's just God. Just God. And He gives me a vision. A, again, that one just weirds me out because... What does that even have to do with preaching to students? Like, I don't even get it. But it was God hanging out with me. And as I hung out with God, and as I began to commune with God in other languages and, and all those things that still I don't quite completely understand, He gave me a beautiful word for those pastors. Even like, they don't even seem related. But yeah, I was just hanging out with Jesus. Hanging out with the Lord. And it wasn't about me. It was about him. He just did his thing through me. It was beautiful. And I, I don't want that for all of us. Just be filled. Be filled. I hope you see that it takes some effort on your part. <laughs> we're always wanting to talk about, you know, you know, I don't know. We're just late. I, I don't want to call us lazy, but we kind of are. Maybe it's an American thing, but there's an effort on our part, right? Is there an effort? On our, I mean, the enemy is so real. He's in opposition to us. By the way, the enemy doesn't want you in your word. The enemy doesn't want you living a life where you're being filled with the Spirit. Have you noticed he doesn't want you spending time with God? 
I mean, I don't want to blame everything on the devil, but have you noticed all the distractions that come up when you try to word, read your word? Like all of a sudden, you want to read your word and a cell phone rings or you get a text. Or all of a sudden you're like, oh, I wonder what the Mariners score is. So you check ESPN or maybe that's just me. But then you go on and you're like, oh, you know, maybe I should do the dishes, right? Or maybe I should vacuum or, you know, maybe I should say, oh, I forgot to take out the trash. All these things come. And, and personally, I also believe that that might be God. Um, I, I used to always condemn myself about those things, but God might actually be helping you as well. You know why God might be helping you? Because you actually decided, you know what, God, I want to spend time with you. And he goes, finally, I want to spend time with you too. Do the dishes. (laughs) Right? Sometimes he speaks in those times. And you do have to go, you know, set it down and go do the dishes. But other times, and I'd say most of the time, I think it's more of the story of Mary and Martha. You guys remember Mary and Martha. Luke 10, 39, it says, Mary sat down at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. I like that line. Mary sat down at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That kind of sounds like this, doesn't it? That we would sit at the feet of Jesus and then we'd read about it and then we'd actually listen to what he said. But then there's Martha. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She's working. She's a little annoyed at Mary. She's a little annoyed at Jesus. But then Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. A few things are needed. Or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It's not going to be taken away from her. And what I want you to hear this morning is that she made an active choice to be with Jesus, to sit at the feet of Jesus. Think of it as an active thing. Like she wasn't just lazy. She wasn't, you know, just taking a nap. She pursued Jesus. She sat at the feet of Jesus. She said, today I am going to hear Jesus. Today I'm sitting at his feet. Today I'm going to listen to what he wants to say. And so in in that moment, you kind of have to set aside the to-do list of your life. And you just have to be stubborn. I I think you just got to be stubborn, right? You got to have that passion, that zeal to say, right now, (laughs) I am spending time with God. And you got to believe it matters. Again, another thing I would always get mad at pastors about is anytime they mention spiritual disciplines. I was like, man, spiritual disciplines, that sounds like the law, that sounds like legalism. And you don't tell me about spiritual disciplines. And you don't tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. But spiritual disciplines, what are they? They're just these beautiful things, habits that we do. Why? To show that we're good little boys or good little girls to get to heaven? No! They're things that you do when you love your Savior, when you love your God. You, when, by the way, when you love God, you want to spend time with God. And how do you spend time with God? You would read your Bible. That's a spiritual discipline. You might pray, another spiritual discipline. You might fast, which is another spiritual discipline. You might, what else might, you might, come on, there's other, these disciplines that all sound so legalistic. What are we talking about when we're talking about discipline? We're talking about, I love you, God, and I want to be with you, and I want to worship you, and I want to talk to you, I want to spend time with you, and I want you to speak to me. So God, I'm going to spend time with you every day through these disciplines to be with you. I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he understood this, this radical stubbornness that says, I'm going to fit at the, sit at the feet of Jesus. He said, you know what? I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. Paul's theology always said, you know what? Be filled with the Spirit because if you're filled with the Spirit, you're not going to succumb to all those, spirits, all those temptations. You're not going to fill the lust of the flesh. If you are filled with the Spirit, you're not going to have room for the things of the flesh. That's what Paul says, right? He says, Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. 
You're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be filled, be full. And you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. I remember a pastor telling me this one time, and I loved it. And it, and it meant a lot to me. It, it really changed the way I thought about the Holy Spirit and what I thought about flesh and, and sin and all those types of things. He says, Dan, be full of God. Be full of God. And when you are full of God, there won't be room for anything else. And this principle is true. You know, when I was struggling through my gambling addiction, my attempts at overcoming my addiction, they were always about removing the gambling. So don't gamble, don't gamble, don't gamble. I'm not going to gamble, don't gamble, don't gamble. I'm not going to gamble, not going to gamble, don't gamble, don't gamble. A thousand times, don't gamble, don't gamble. And then what? What do you do the thousand and first time? You gamble. Any guys looking at porn? I'm not going to look at porn. I'm not, I'm not looking at porn. I'm looking at, I'm not looking at porn. You can say that 10,000 times, but guess what? The 10,000 and first time, you look at porn. It's amazing how we do that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And when your focus is there, you will just continue to be defeated. I didn't find true victory until my approach to gambling changed. Instead of trying to remove my desire to gamble, I just began to go head first, all in, diving into God and who He is and what He wanted to do in me and through me. I just, I mean, I went to church all the time. I was at church from morning to night. I served everywhere I could serve. I just got engaged. I worshiped the Lord or engaged in any, anything I could do. I, I just started pressing in to God. I mean, just a ridiculously in to the presence of God. Now, I remember I'm interviewing for this big church in Spokane. I mean, big church. Four, four services on a Sunday morning. I'm going to be their music pastor. And one of the first things I tell him, I go, and I'm a gambling addict. That's what I told him in my job. And he's like, you're hired. It was awesome. All he told me, and this is part of my testimony, he said, he said every time you gamble, tell me. I said, okay, I can do that. Six months later, I said, I gamble. He goes, how long has it been since you gambled last? I go, six months. He goes, we'll go another six months. I said, okay, I can do that. That was 12 years ago, church. 12 years ago. Hallelujah. So be filled, be filled, be filled, be filled, be filled. Get lost in the presence of God. Pursue God. There's an action. I want you to see that. There is an action, a stubbornness, a perseverance, a, a, a truly an endurance saying, no, I will pursue God and I will receive all that he has for me. I'm going to press into God. And church, even when you don't feel like it, right? Even when you don't feel like it. Emotions can get in the way. But I remember towards the beginning of being a senior pastor, it was a tough time. A lot of things going on in this church that just were not good. There was just an unhealth that existed. And I was walking through these various situations at church. And, and I remember saying something to Wayne in one of our Thursday night men's groups. And I said, Wayne, I said with everything going on, I'm not happy. But I am faithful. I remember saying that very clearly. I'm not happy, but I'm faithful. And the idea here is that in that environment, I did not hear the birds chirping. I did not see the sun shining. Kermit the Frog was not singing Rainbow Connection. None of that existed. I was struggling through tough situations. But I didn't give up. I didn't turn away from God. Now, other t- I'm sure that, you know, there's other stories where I can you know, share all the terrible things about me. But in this time, I didn't give up. I remained faithful. I and this is how I want to explain it to you. Now, I want it to be raw for you. I didn't feel like reading the Bible, but I read the Bible. I didn't feel like worshiping God, but I sang my heart out to God. I didn't feel like being filled up with the Spirit, but with tears in my eyes, I said, Jesus, 
would you fill me up? Would you give me what I need? And I didn't even know. I, sometimes I didn't even feel it, right? Have you ever been there where you asked him to fill you up and you're like, I don't even know if anything happened, but I still did it. I wasn't happy, but I was faithful. And how many times do emotions get in the way of people following God? Church, sometimes you're not going to be happy. <laughs> Deal with it, right? <laughs> sometimes you're not going to be happy. But I pray that you would be faithful. Sometimes you're not going to feel like being filled with the Word or filled with the Spirit, but I pray you to remain faithful. Fill yourself up. Fill yourself up. I'm telling you the faithfulness I had for God, the faithfulness I had that God was still for me and not against me, even when it was hard, even when I doubted whether He was even there. You know, sometimes you're like, God, I receive what you'd have, and then and you're like, I don't even know if you even gave me anything. But yet you still actively pursue Him. Actively pursue Him. Actively pursue Him. In faith, in obedience, in humility, actively pursuing. Even when it feels like nothing is happening, you just actively pursue Him. Say, God, I receive from You. I receive, even though my emotions are, are telling me otherwise, even though the medication I'm taking is telling me otherwise, even though my spouse is telling me otherwise, even though the world around me and the news and Fox and CNN are telling me otherwise, right now, Lord, I actively tell You that You are in my life. You are alive. You are not dead. And You are filling me up and You're giving me exactly what I need. The second Peter 1 3 tells me to live a life for you by the power of God right now you are filling me up and I, I don't even know God in fact I don't even know about life right now I have more questions than answers but I put my faith in you Jesus and I will receive all that you have for me and I'm telling you even though your emotions might tell you otherwise in the supernatural realm in that moment the Lord gives you what you need and that's important to understand don't let your emotions tell you otherwise you are receiving what you need to live a godly life for him and I'm telling you, as I walked through that season, it was a dark season, as I walked out on the other side of it, I was like, wow, God really did a work on me. I wouldn't want anyone else to go through it. Have you ever been through a hard time in your life? You don't want anyone else to go through that. You would hate for anyone that you love to have to go through that hard time. But you also know that God works all things together for His good. And He did something in you and through you that no one can take away from No one can take that away from me. I grew in the Lord. I was refined by the fire. I'm dangerous for the kingdom because I went through some stupid stuff. But I did not give up. I remained faithful to Him. And hallelujah, I get it. There's a thousand times I've made mistakes and it was about His faithfulness in my life. I mean, let's be honest. It is not about me. It is about God. But there's something as someone who's saved, as someone who's rescued, as someone who is delivered, as you know that you are a new creation in Christ, there's something about you coming in and saying, I will remain faithful to you, God. Even though the world mocks me, even though the world spits upon me and tells me I am a fool, I'd rather be a fool for Christ than a fool for this world. I will remain faithful to you, God. There's something about that. Because when you get through that season... Have you been through a season? I got, you know, I'm, where I'm going with this is that ridiculous faith, right? Ray Wright had a ridiculous faith. Because he'd been through enough things, he'd seen enough things in Ghana, you weren't going to convince them otherwise. Some of you have been through the worst of the worst in your life, but you made it through there with Jesus Christ. And no one's going to be able to touch that. They can't steal that away from you. It's because you were filled up with God even when you didn't feel like it. But here's something I think is really encouraging for me, and it was really encouraging, especially when I was going through um, the gambling uh, side of my life in college. It was, it was. I, I began to hear a lot of people talk about um, God and water, and and for some reason that analogy just really meant a lot to me. Maybe because I was a singer and I, I drank a lot of water, but I started hearing these scriptures about the water, and in my heart, my gut, I needed water. Have you? Maybe you're there right now. Where you're like, I need. Water. 
I am in a dry desert land and I need water. And the Holy Spirit says, you want water? I got water. Paul tells us that we are sanctified and washed by the water of the word. John 7.38, Jesus declares, whoever believes in me, rivers of flowing waters will flow from within them. We got to give him permission to flow. Again, even when we don't feel like it. This isn't an emotions thing. This is in the spiritual realm. I declare right now from the bellies of my gut, the rivers of the Holy Spirit are going to flow and nobody's going to stop it. Water just covering me. Water washing me. Water cleansing me. Water refreshing me. God, pour on me. Pour on me. Pour on me. And why do we get poured on? You get poured on. You get filled up. Why? To pour out onto others, right? That's what it's about. Not just for yourself. You get poured on so that you can just have that water just splashing all over the place. You receive and you receive the gift. One of the greatest miracles, I think, in the Bible is a fun one. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they're walking to this gate. This guy's been lame for 40 years. 40 years. Everybody knows this guy. He's always asking for money. And Peter and John, you know, same thing happens. He's, he's asking them for things. And Peter and John, they kind of look at him. And they're like, whoa, you know, we don't have that. They said, silver or gold, we don't have. But what I do have, what I have received, I give you. And what does Peter give this man? Or who does he give this man? He gives him Jesus. So even when you feel like you have nothing to give, I, mean, I don't got anything. I'm, I'm, you know, you're in those seasons, right? Where you're just dry. And I, mean, I don't even have anything to give. But in faith, I'm just going to trust in God. In faith, I'm going to trust that he's... Giving me what I need. In faith, I'm going to trust that even though I am weak, His power is made perfect in my weakness. And so, you know what? I actually don't got much to give right now. But you know what I do have? I'll give it to you. I got Jesus. And when you got Jesus, you have everything. So in the name of Jesus, walk. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be set free. In the name of Jesus, be delivered. In the name of Jesus, I give you what I have. Jesus. I'm giving you what I've received, Jesus. I'm giving you what he's filled me up with, Jesus. Jesus, and I, I love this miracle. It shows you once again that miracles are not about you and your wizardry or your you know, magician tricks that you can do. Like, ah, ha, ha, pow. A miracle is always about God, right? Those guys, well, what did they give? They didn't give them like me. It's like, actually, I don't, empty pockets, but I got Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And Jesus comes in and Jesus heals her. Jesus comes in. Jesus delivers you. Jesus comes in. Jesus blesses you. Jesus comes in. Jesus does what Jesus does. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's about God. It's about his all-surpassing power in jars of clay that it's about his power on display. So it's not about you and you taking the credit. But who taking the credit? God. Glory to who? God. Praise who? God. The presence of God filling you up. You are positioned to be receiving all that he'd have for you and you're positioned to be poured out as you receive. Zechariah says, not by might, not by power, but by what? By my spirit. His spirit is in us and his spirit flows in us and through us. It's about being filled with God and Jesus and his spirit. And then you begin to see the miraculous, the supernatural in you and through you. And you give to others what you have received. Lifespring, will you receive all that he would give you today? I think that's just a really good question to ask your heart. 
I mean, our hearts all come in with different conditions and different attitudes and different experiences. But right now, would you just ask that question? Am I willing to receive all that Jesus would have for me today? Maybe you're in a funk. Maybe you're grumpy. Maybe you're angry. I have a friend, Wednesday morning, he comes to me. He's like, man, I've been grumpy for like two months. But this guy's a Christian. I love Christians because, you know, we, we feel emotions just like everybody else, right? We're human beings. We have flesh on us. So he's like, you know, I've been grumpy for the last two months. But I'm a Christian. And so what I did, I started writing a gratitude journal. Gratitude journal. That's hard when you're grumpy. But you're like, I am thankful for today. I am thankful for... And he just began to write that. I think that's so powerful. Because emotionally, in his mind and all, in his, you know... I'm not thankful for anything. But in the spiritual realm, he goes, I am going to thank the Lord. I am going to praise the Lord. He went David, right? He went David. He went Psalms. He's like, I'm going to declare the goodness of my God. Writing it down. This is what I'm thankful for. And this, and, and this leads me to my next ingredient, and we're almost done. It's just the, the posture of expecting. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's just the idea that you would receive, and as you receive from the Lord, that you would expect God to move. And that's hard, you know, because in, in those dry seasons, I mean, this is tough, right? But that you would, in faith, again, in your spiritual being, in your spiritual man, your spiritual woman, say, you know what? I believe I am receiving right now all that I need to live a godly life. And I am expecting His power, His Spirit to move in a mighty way, in a supernatural way, in me and through me. Think about the, the water to wine. I love that story. Water to wine. He, uh, Jesus you know, he tells the servants, go get the pots, fill them up with water. Servants take the pots, they fill them up with water. But then he, takes, he tells the servants to go over and give it to the master of the feast. Because the master of the feast, he's needing the more, more wine. And Jesus says, John 2, 8, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So these servants who filled the pots with water, they take this, these pots of water to the head waiter. They obeyed Jesus, right? Praise the Lord for obedience. But they're also taking a risk. I mean, let's be honest. These servants, they're... They're bringing these pots of water to this man who's going to taste it and see what it tastes like. I mean, it's risky. Have you noticed that there's a certain level of risk involved in following the Lord? Again, a lot of sermons, you know, just, it's all about comfort and safety and a lot of feathers. <laughs> but there is a risk to following the Lord. Look at Peter. Peter, he's in that storm. Remember the storm? And he's in that boat and Jesus is like, you know, come on out here. Step out of the boat. There's a risk to what Peter did. And what did Peter do? He walked on water. He put his faith in Jesus. He put his faith in Jesus. Can you put your faith in Jesus today? Abraham, I think he's a good example of faith. I love the way Paul writes it in Romans chapter 4. He says this about Abraham, just look at the expectation here that uh, Abraham had for God to be God. He says, in hope against hope, Abraham believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. So God has said, you're going to be a father of many nations. But he's saying, without becoming weak in faith, he said, okay, I'm going to be a father of many nations. But he contemplated his body, which was now as good as dead since he was like a hundred years old. And he also contemplated the deadness of Sarah's womb. Like, I just want to be in that scene and see what that looks like like wow like me and like you and like never like uh, but that's what they did but he still had faith 
He believed that God would do what God said He would do. It says, yet, with respect to the promise of God, He did not waver in unbelief, but He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God had promised, He was also able to perform. Did you catch that? Hope against hope, He believed, without becoming weak in faith, contemplating His body, good as dead, a hundred years old, Sarah's womb was dead, and yet, listen, church, yet with respect to the promise of God, He did not waver in unbelief, but He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured of what God had promised he was able also to perform. He put his faith in God, expecting God to do the impossible. Verse 17, listen to this. Abraham believed in a God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which did not exist. He believed. Look at this expectation. He believed that God would call into being that which does not exist. He expected God to be God. So you have to know that age and life circumstance, a doctor's diagnosis, none of that can stop the hand of a miraculous God that we serve. See, He is willing, able, and He takes great joy and delight in showing His love and care to us even in the most difficult situations of our life. You have to expect that about God. Expect Him to be with you, to lead you, to guide you, to heal you, to help you, to encourage you, to comfort you, to resource you. That's what he does. First Chronicles 16, 9. This is one of the first um, verses I ever memorized. And I, I didn't even believe it. I couldn't believe it was in the Bible. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro through the earth that he might strongly support who? Those whose hearts are completely his. Isn't that good? He's just looking right now. I'm just looking for people whose hearts are sold out for me. And if your heart is sold out for me, he says, I will resource you. I will give you what you need. And that's Old Testament language. I mean, even New Testament now, the temple of God is within you. The Holy Spirit, the worship center, the best, craziest, awesomest temple ever is in you right now. The Holy Spirit, perfect, clean, righteous, without blame, just holy of holies is within you. The temple of God resides within you. And he's saying, I can do that which no one else can do. I can do the impossible. I can even speak things into existence that did not exist. Do we expect that of God? Do we expect that He will resource those who strongly support Him? Do we expect and believe, Psalm 46, that He is a very present help in trouble? Expect His involvement. Expect His movement. Life spring. I close with this. Receive from God. Fill yourself with His Word. Fill yourself with His Holy Spirit. And expect Him to move in ways that only a supernatural God could move. I've asked the worship team to come up and we're going to sing a song. And and if you need to leave, I totally get that. But... um. This song, it just wrecks me every time I hear it. And we just want to make room for you to receive. That we take this time seriously. That we believe that this time matters. But that we would receive. And even when we receive, we have certain expectations of how it's going to happen, right? Like, God, I want you to do this. And God, I want you to do that. But instead, we just relax. (laughs) Humble ourselves. Surrender. Say, no, God, I want to receive not what I want from you, but I want to receive what you want. What do you want to do, God, in me? Where do you want to perform a miracle? Where do you want 
to show yourself to be on display? Where do you want to receive all the glory? And so that's what we're going to do as, as we sing this song. Just get your heart in a place where you say, God, what do you want to do? I receive. And then church, as we do this and as we spend time singing this song, as you receive, just expect that God would do what God does. Our God's not dead. The tomb is empty. The Holy Spirit came. The promise of the Father. He's in us and with us. He wants to help us. And so if we're not living that kind of life, there's no reason to wait for tomorrow to live that life. Right now, just let Him fill you up. Receive all that He would have for you. In fact, I want to pray for some of you. And I'd love to pray. Just, and you don't even have to, you don't have to spill your guts or anything. You don't have to confess. I, I just want you, just that you'd be open. Say, God, I want to receive all that you have for me. I want to pray for you. And then expect God to be God and do what God does. We also um, have a room in the back. And um, it's so awkward and weird and, you know, whatever. But it's awesome, too. Um, there's a room back here. You'd have to go through the sidewalk and uh, go back there. But we have some people back there that are going to be praying. And they're there to pray for you. And if you need longer time, 20, 30 minutes praying, I don't know, work it out. Um, we're going to pray for you back there. And, and they want to spend time with you. Um, amazing people want to pray with you. I, I'll be here as well to be able to pray with you. Um, just want to encourage you. You know, it's 1230, so you know, we try to get out of here by then. So, uh, let's, so it's not too awkward for anybody. Let's just stand. I want to make this a comfortable place for you. And as Mary sings, I'll, I'll just be standing up here. And if, if you need to make your way out there, go ahead and go out there. It looks like Catherine and Debbie will be out there praying, which is pretty amazing. And then let's sing this song together and receive from the Lord. Receive from the Lord.